Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. We really appreciate you tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. They're the leader in silhouettes right now. They're ahead of the game. They're killing it on every front. Social media, products that they're putting out, they're killing it. You cannot beat the stake system that Dive Bomb has. You cannot beat the realism. You cannot beat the way they pack up. They're killing it. That's all I can say. Divebombindustries.com. Go there. Get the decoys that you need for this season. The season is closer than you think. Go to Divebombindustries.com right now and load that shopping cart up. They've got new pintails out. they got floaters coming out at the end of the summer, so be looking for that. Divebombindustries.com, the way to go. You don't need a bunch of full bodies anymore. Science is out. Silhouettes work. They work great. Divebombindustries.com. We're also brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. Bismuth is back in style. Just look at uh, all the companies that are putting out bismuth now. Everybody's putting out bismuth because it works. One shot, stone cold dead, BossShotShells.com. Only takes one. The science is there. That's another cool thing that Brandon's doing. He's putting, he's putting the, the science, when you buy a case of shotgun shells from Boss, he's putting the numbers in with it to show you the efficiency of bismuth. It's the way to go. They're copper plating their BBs now, holding a tighter pattern, more pellets on target, the way to go. BossShotShells.com. We love them. We're also brought to you by 737, boys in Oklahoma, making duck calls, kill ducks all over the United States, direct to consumer, no middleman, 737 duck calls, changing the game. The old number one, it's what Jeff blows. If it's good enough for me, it's good enough for anybody. By God. Go to 737duckcalls.com and get what you need. They've got goose calls too. Don't let the name fool you. We're also brought to you by Lucky Duck. If you're a field duck hunter, you need spinners, and you need a lot of them. Lucky Duck has got you covered. LuckyDuck.com for all of your spinning wing decoy needs. And uh, dog crates. They've got dog crates now, too. Yep. Uh, they, they look like they're a freaking tank. So LuckyDuck.com, they're more than just a, a motion more than just a motion decoy. They're, they're getting into everything now. So uh, got pigeon, pigeon uh, spinners out for... For dove season, that should work great. So look no further. If you've got a need for a spinning wing decoy, go to LuckyDuck.com. They'll hook you up. Also, we're brought to you by Sea Light LEDs. There's no need to be fumbling around in the dark anymore. Sea Light LEDs lights up the sky. Early morning spread setups. You see what you're doing. You don't have to wait for the sun to come up to see where you screwed the pooch. Move decoys around. Flip a switch and you got lights everywhere. Put them on your boat if you're a, a, a Bow fishermen, go to sealightleds.com. Hook yourself up. Treat yourself, people. We're also brought to you by William and Chris Wines. Texas wine. Texas premium wine. Chris is uh, he's living the dream, making wine. He's, uh, he's selling wine all over the United States. Good wine, too. Not that box crap that you can get, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a premium wine. This is for somebody that you take seriously in a relationship like a wife or a steady girlfriend. <laughs> Go to one of those uh, good supermarkets, H-E-B, you know, something where people don't wear pajamas to, to shop in. <laughs> Get you a, a nice Merlot. 
go with that uh, steak that you probably cooked past medium rare going to serve to your wife or your significant other. WilliamChrisWines.com. They'll even ship it to you. And this show is also brought to you by Athlon Optics, also a U.S. made. Athlon Optics is a proud U.S. sports optic product company devoted to designing and delivering superior quality optic products and outdoor accessories at a competitive price to you, the consumer. Athlon has strong engineering design capability, strategic alliances with quality manufacturers, and a streamlined, fully integrated supply chain. Whether you're shooting prairie dogs or scouting those geese or ducks the night before, Athlon Optics has a product that you need. So go to athlonoptics.com, get your binoculars, get your scopes. They've also got red dot sights. They got it all. If you need to look through it so you can shoot something or find something, Athlon Optics is the way to go. Last but not least, we're brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Been around too long, probably. Not the kind of place you go to. It's pajamas looking trashy either. No, we're, we're respectable by God. <laughs> 25 years in business, still going strong. I guess you're just as hungry as you were the first day. I don't know. Yes, I am. Looks up. We got some good specials coming on. We got uh, dove season is right here, Jeff. Yep, got, it is right here. Got some pheasant dove combos for weekdays in October. Look us up. You can do a morning pheasant hunt. Afternoon, come in the afternoon. Do an afternoon dove hunt. Spend the night dinner. Morning pheasant hunt with breakfast. You might give us a holler at nine four zero six five eight three one seven two or look us up at stanfieldhunting.com. Okay, on this episode of the podcast, we're joined by Trevor Shanahan. He is a goose-calling phenom. He has won the World Goose Calling Championship in Easton two times, 2016-2017. Had a little reed malfunction last year, so uh, he's looking to rebound rebound this year. Uh, he's killed it at Rogers. He's won it oh, fuck, a bunch of times. So uh, he is a whiz on the goose and duck call. And he was a delight to talk to because, like most guests, he's got a lot more going on than just uh, goose and duck calling. Talk a little bit about fantasy football. Talk a little bit about real football. Uh, you know, he's, he's just an interesting guy. So it was a really good conversation. We appreciate him coming on. So here he is, Trevor Shanahan. Ready, Hefe? Yep. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Boom, and live from the Big Honker Podcast in at the Big Honker Lodge. I didn't screw that all up. This is Jeff Stanfield. You got tongue-tied. This is Andy Shaver. Got a treat for you today on the lines. We've got Trevor Shanahan. He is a two-time World Goose Calling Champion. He won it in 2016 and 2017. Uh, got a couple World Live Duck Calling uh, Championships to his name, and he's also uh, you're also a three-time winner at Rogers, eh? Uh, yep for uh, for the duck and the goose there. Yeah, uh, um, do, is there like a retirement thing at, at Rogers, or, or are you going to do that again this year? 
No, Rogers actually does it the right way and doesn't make uh, doesn't make you retire for being good at something. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I digress about that. We've been we've argued about the three and out rule all the time. I mean, you know, kind of it. You know, me personally as a competitor, if I win, I want to know that I won. You know, competing against the best. So, not having the likes of Robbie Iverson or or Hunter Grounds there or Mitch Hughes there when when I won my contest because they'd won it too many times already, right. you know, cheapened it a little bit, you know, just to me personally. Well, um, that, that, you know. we talked about that a little bit on the podcast, and that's kind of the only thing that I see wrong with Easton. You know, Rogers, you got everybody, and it's a stacked lineup. So when you win it, like, you're, you're legitimately going up against the best. Like you yep. said, up at Easton, you know, you might win, but some of these other guys, you know, they might have just won out, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's, I mean, you have a lot of state contests that uh, that do it that way. Uh, you have Stuckart that does it that way. I, I don't know where that came from. Um, I don't know if it was an attempt in the beginning to keep people interested, um, you know, so that the same guys didn't win over and over again and kind of uh, make interest wane in it, um, you know. But I, it's really <laughs> about the only place I've ever seen it. Uh, you know, in any game or sport or, you know, activity where, you know, three and you're done. <laughs> well, I think it, it seems it seems a little arbitrary to me, but probably and Jeff you get your take on it. I think probably th- there were so many good callers and then there were so many shitty callers back when all this was starting. I don't think that there was a ta- I don't think talent was as deep when these contests were starting there. I think there might have been a couple handful of guys. Back in the old days, that's what it was. There was five, six guys that could really blow a call, and and it was the same guys winning every year. And it was probably more regional at that time, too. Like, I, I think, when, especially at um, Easton, I think at the time, until Tim and them brung the half-breed over and all them guys, I think it was basically an East Coast-type deal. Yeah. And and Sean talked about that when he was with us at the time. But and somebody's going to – going to correct us on this because no matter what we say someone's going to correct something because we always screw up crap we don't know much about this but <laughs> back in the day there wasn't a lot of great callers like there is now hell there's 16 year old kids can blow the shit out of a call right because they grow up watching youtube and learn how to blow calls way before back when they had to have somebody teach them yeah so yeah, trevor how, I, how, how'd you get into calling trevor um well i I've been hunting pretty much my entire life, but uh really didn't get into contest calling uh, until a buddy of mine uh, that I played baseball with, Jake Steppy, he was like, oh, man, you're competitive as hell. You want, you ought to try this. You probably enjoy it. And uh, tried to blow a goose call, couldn't make a sound out of it. Picked a duck call up. I could get it to quack. You know, I, I halfway knew how to blow a duck call, but I'd always kind of just, you know, let, you know, let everybody else call, you know, never really worried about it, but. You know, I, I I halfway knew how to blow a duck call, and so picked it up about a week before uh, the Delaware Bay. Uh, I entered the Delaware Bay Junior Novice Duck Calling Contest. Never been in a contest in my life. I'd been blowing the call for about a week. Um, basically, Jake Steffi said, "Here, here's John Stevens' routine. Listen to it and try and mimic it as as good as you can." So, needless to say, it was terrible because uh that's probably one of the best routines ever been blown down in stuck art and uh and i was a 16 year old kid that had been blowing a duck call for all about a week um but went to that contest ended up drawing the bullet in the first round you know i, I was there thinking oh well i'll just listen to some people kind of get an idea well i drew the bullet 
made the second round and ended up getting cut, ended up fifth place out of like, I don't know, like nine or 10 kids. So it was, it was, it was pretty cool and kind of just got hooked from there. Um, and really didn't start getting into the goose calling until about two years after that. You know, I, I blew just the ran, you know, in the random contest every now and then, um, uh, and, until about 2008 and then finally started getting good enough on the contest, uh, contest routine to, uh, you know, start competing more and, you know, kind of, kind of took off from there. But getting back to what we were talking about before, honestly, I think, um, you know, I, I know I'm, I wasn't around back in those days and everything, but anything that I get interested in, I, I kind of go back and learn the history of, um, you know, uh, way before my time in it um and back then you know especially i i've watched videos and everything you know, john taylor uh he's got videos of easton going back to the like mid 80s whenever he started in it um so w the real big difference was actually i think the talent level back then was a lot more even than it is now um meaning to say you had 15 20 dudes in a contest that could win it mm -hmm. um because the the calling style especially in the 80s and early 90s before before the advent and you know and spread of the short read goose call um you know the the style was completely different it was it was more it was slower calling more deep goose and just and a little more of a subtle laid back uh honestly kind of more realistic calling uh than it is now it wasn't the it wasn't the maxim you know it wasn't maximizing what a call can do and, and hitting every note in a goose's vocabulary like it is now. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think as the calling styles have progressed to now, the the divide between the top guys and even the middle guys has grown so much that it, it's pretty. I mean, you basically have about five or six guys that could that could win a, any given contest you know at a big contest right now and, and and that's not how it was back in the day back in the day you had 20 or 30 that could that could do it you know depending on who showed up and what the and the judging was so completely different back then too because it was the judging was completely regionalized um it still is to some degree um there's still an east coast and a midwest style of judging but it's not as vast of a difference as it used to be back in say even going to the early 2000s and what are these judges you, you said there's an east coast uh, kind of mid and a midwest style of judging what do each uh i mean if, if you draw it and you get you know if you're a midwest guy and you get an east coast set of judges does that put you at a disadvantage uh i I wouldn't say that it puts you at a disadvantage, um, more so, uh, vice versa. If you're an East coast style caller and draw a Midwest, uh, judging panel, you're probably at more of a disadvantage than vice versa, because I consider John Walls and myself to be Midwest style callers. And we win plenty of contests with, with East coast judging. Um, but typically, 
when someone with the East Coast style goes out to the Midwest, they do not get scored nearly as well as they do back here. Um, so I, I, it, it's a little bit of disadvantage if East goes to the Midwest, but I don't think necessarily if, if a Midwest style comes to the East, uh, it, it's quite as much of a disadvantage. But really the, the biggest thing is, on the East Coast, it's a lot of more individualized notes, mm-hmm. um, not rolling between notes, um, kind of clear, uh, clear, concise. You're not keeping sound in between notes. Um, a little less bottom end, like trick notes and everything, mm-hmm. um, and a little more uh, power volume uh, type calling. Where in the Midwest, you typically, or the Midwest style typically, it's more rolling notes together, keeping sound, uh, real nasty bottom end, you know, you, some of those real nasty, uh, goose sounds and tends to be a little bit more technical of a routine, um, and not focus quite as much on, you know, the volume power aspect. So, you, but you're raised on the East Coast, correct? How did you get this Midwest style? Is it just something that you uh, kind of picked up? Well, I, I kind of blend a little bit of both. Um, and, I found that to be effective, uh, you know, basically anywhere I call. Um, so that was kind of why I came up with that style. But honestly, to me, I mean, to me, the, the, the best contest goose routine I've ever heard is Hunter Grounds. So nobody's ever going to be able to do what he does on a goose call as good as he does it. Yeah. But I kind of took that style and that aspect and made, and made it my own uh you know to fit what i could do not try and not try and copy him not try and go above my capabilities on a call um but but use that same style where it's kind of it's bouncing up and down the way that geese do you know and instead of being a solid wall sound what hunter does a lot is like just bouncing up and down in volume in cadence and in pitch and just like you hear geese do, you'll hear geese get real quiet and real loud and aggressive and then quiet, you know, bouncing it up and down. And that's kind of what, to my ear, sounded the most natural and sounded the best and was the most technical. So that's what I set out to try and build a routine around that type of style. What 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 year was that? <clears throat> Sorry, choking here. What year was that? That was, what, 2007, that Hunter Grounds... Uh... Yeah, that 07 routine to me is nasty. is the best one he's ever played. Na- it's nasty. If you haven't yes, if you haven't yep. listened to it, go to it's on YouTube right now. Just type in Hunter mm-hmm. Grounds 2007. I mean, it is fu- just like you said though. I mean, it is just the way he goes from like you said, quiet to to real aggressive and just a short burst. It's 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 amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, and and no and nobody can put multiples together like he can. Just. I mean, I've I've never heard anybody be able to do it and do it as clean as he did, um, you know, in that 2017 because just the stuff is so fast yet it's so clear and crisp and clean and he's not slurring in between any notes and it's just amazing the stuff that he could do on a call. <laughs> so did did you watch that? Because I've only seen that's the only uh, person I saw blow from that. But did you watch that entire contest, the entire final round? What were the other guys like? Um, I'm trying to remember. I was actually there, uh, in 07, uh, cause I started in 2006. <laughs> right. Um, 
I gotta imagine and, as, a, as a young contest call, you gotta be like, holy shit! I'm. Oh yeah. How the and, fuck and am I ever gonna crazy. do that? It's crazy because I, I mean, at that point in time, I wasn't really even thinking about blowing a goose call contest because at that point in time, I sucked on a goose call. You know, I just would do the. I would do a random contest and then I'd blow an East End just because it was Worlds and I'm 45 minutes from it. But, uh, I, I remember just being in absolute awe of that because no matter how good it sounds on video in that room, in that auditorium, it always sounds five times better than it, anything ever sounds on video. Yeah. Um, this will be yeah, our first trip he, up there he, and I'm excited. Just to be in there, be in the room like you oh, said, yeah. it's just, it's going to be an amazing trip. I'm really ready to go. I'm ready to go right now, Jeff. <laughs> nah, well, you guys are used to the heat, but I don't know if you're used to the humidity that we have, because it's pretty nasty around here as far as humidity goes. Yeah, we just got but, back from freaking South Carolina and shit, and it was miserable hot. There's no air there. Mm-hmm. If you've never been to South Carolina, there's no air. There's no air. Yeah. It's just hot. So, um... Back to you and your goose calling. So what was the first year that you entered into a goose calling contest? Um, I think I did. The, actually, I think I did the Junior Worlds in 2006, that first year that I started. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it was just, it was bad. It was just, I was there blowing a duck call, so I figured I might as well enter in a goose calling contest. Because back, back in that time, the entry fees weren't as high as they are now, and it was, it was a, huge deal back then you know it's kind of it died off and then it's garnered a little more interest in the past few years once uh teddy and the new regime kind of took over and fixed some things that were that weren't great about it um but it had a few down years you know in the middle there um but i mean i i remember when i first started it was probably like 40 people in the adults and probably 20 some kids in the juniors and now uh, there might be about 10 kids in the juniors and 20 to, you know, anywhere from 20 to 28 has probably been the most in the last maybe, I don't know, six years or so. Yeah. Um, and it's been as low as 18, I believe. So, well, it's, no. you know, it, it was, it was a big deal, but back then it was also like a 40 or $50 you know, this was before the recession hit, and it was a forty or fifty dollar entry fee. You had fifteen local guides, um, you know, fifteen local guides that were coming to compete in it. Um, you know, just good goose callers, but you know, it didn't really didn't really stand a chance at winning the contest. But they were good goose callers, and it was in Easton. And it's like, ah, let's go on Friday night and you know, go give it a shot. Right. Um, and you know, and that was really kind of right about as the contest goose calling scene, uh, probably from 2003 on. So, you know, that was right at the beginning of it, of where it was starting to become something that the average goose guide couldn't compete in anymore. Um, it, it was getting more advanced of a calling style right about that time, that, that early to mid 2000 range. Um, you know, so at, as as the calling style progressed and we had you know the recession hit and we had and they upped the the entry fee to a hundred dollars it wasn't so much <laughs> there weren't so many people willing to just go you know throw a hundred dollars away for one round of getting on stage right 
And, I mean, Maryland's not an easy place to get to, you know. You get a guy from Kansas or something like that, it's, it's a trek. It's a trek for those guys. Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, we we fly out there for contests all the time. That's true. <laughs> That's true. You you, yeah. you fly, fly to the Rodgers? I, I fly to Kansas City two weekends in a row, so... <laughs> Is that that's how they do the duck? It duck one week and then goose the next. Yeah, well, it started that way last year, and I flew out there for the goose, and then I was flying out there for the uh, the duck, and uh, storm hit, and all flights got canceled, and ended up not being able to get a flight out there, so I didn't end up making the duck last year. Um, but uh, then they. Uh, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, so they're doing the same again this year. It's they added so many contests when they added those regionals and took over the state duck calling contest. Then they added the spec contest. And this year, I think they added a live goose and a and a uh, they added a live goose to the uh, the goose weekend. So I mean, they added so many contests they couldn't even run. They couldn't run them all in one weekend, even if they wanted to. So nice. Um, when is that weekend? August. Uh, so. The Goose Weekend will be July 28th. All the contests will be on Saturday because I fly in Friday night, call in the contest Saturday. As soon as the last contest is over, I got to haul ass to Cincinnati in a rental car because I am uh, my best friend getting married in Cincinnati and I, uh, I'm in the wedding. So I got about a nine hour drive as soon as that contest is over. <laughs> Oof, that's a long ass drive. Oh, yeah. Is the wedding Saturday? Yeah. The wedding Saturday at eleven thirty, so I'm gonna be hauling through the night. <laughs> <laughs> you better win so you can buy buy the guy's beer. I feel somebody's gonna get an ash chew now. This it's gonna be the poor groom when you're late. <laughs> are you are you are you standing in the wedding or are you just attending? No, I'm I'm in it. I'm oh, actually shit. in the wedding. Yeah. Party. Oh shit! So. She is gonna chew on his oh. ass when you're late. Woo! I, oh, it's gonna be bad. Zach's getting married, and we've already got our our uh, little pre-wedding warning. About everything. Warning. Well, I mean, just, you know, get all your shit. This is what time everything's running. So if I was nine yeah. hours away the day before, there'd be a pissed off uh, bride to be. You really got a line of stuff you're supposed to do? Well, I just mean like have your, because he's telling everybody, you know, get your stuff ordered. We're three weeks out. You know what Shelby blah, told blah, me? Blah, blah, blah. What? She goes, Judge, what are you going to wear? I said, what do I have to wear? You can wear whatever you want to. I said, I can wear fucking shorts. It's gonna be 110 degrees. Mm. If that's what you want to wear, I know better than that. Yeah, that's I a trap. said. I said, do I have to wear a jacket? She goes, no. I said, I seriously don't have to wear a jacket. She goes, no. I said, hell yeah. I said, I can just wear a long sleeve shirt and some khakis, and I'm good. If that's what you want to wear. That's fine with us. I'm like winner, winner, chicken dinner, boy. What's the attire at this wedding that you're going to? Formal or is it kind of business cash? Well, it's what's really nice is uh, most of the guys in the. Uh, in the wedding party already had um, a suit from another one of their buddies' weddings that, that they were in. Um, so, but with my buddy knowing it's going to be middle of the summer in Southern Ohio, mm -hmm. um, it's going to be hot and <laughs> it's going to be sticky. Yeah. So uh, he basically, he told us, he's like, these pants, you know, for anybody who doesn't have them, here's the link. And they were on sale, it was like a $70 pair of pants. It, you know, it wasn't anything, they were normally like $150. They were on sale for 70 So it wasn't anything, you know, too extravagant. Just a nice pair of, of blue, uh, you know, blue slacks. And then light brown shoes, light brown uh, belt, and a white shirt. And he's got all the ties for us. That is exactly. So, and, then, and 
exactly what we're minus the uh, minus the we're we're wearing the same thing, navy navy slacks, brown shoes, and we're doing suspenders, white shirt and brown suspenders. Yeah, there you go, See, I, I I would I would do suspenders too. I like suspenders, but uh, they went with they went with a. Uh, Brown belt, oh. and then he told us to wear the craziest socks we could. So I got a pair of Maryland flag socks that I'll probably rock. Those would be pretty damn crazy. I can tell you that much right now. <laughs> Who came up with that flag? By the way, somebody from Maryland. It's it's all it's all based upon uh, old English her- uh, heraldry. Mm-hmm. Old so, English what? Heraldry. Heraldry. Explain that to me. I'm an uneducated West Texas boy. Um. So uh, essentially, basically, the flags of the families uh, in in England. Every every family, essentially, every royal family, essentially had uh, their own flag or their own heraldry. Um, so it's I think it's a combination of uh, Lord Calvert and Lord Baltimore. Uh, I believe is is what it's based upon. So this is like their family crest kind of type deal. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know the Hedry. Hedry's how you say that? Heraldry. Heraldry. I will use that word in the yep. next couple of days. Try to impress them by heraldry. <laughs> it's the same word as a family crest. Now, uh, in in high school, we had Texas history because there's quite a bit of shit to know, you know, you know, obviously. Andy's fixing to make everybody in Maryland mad. I can no, no, feel no, it no, coming no. already. No, 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 no. <laughs> Do y'all have a Maryland history? I, I always it. wonder that about other states. Do y'all have like a Maryland <laughs> state history? In we class? we would learn like a, in middle school we learned some Maryland state history but most of us probably forgot it all anyways but um, kind of just through the years uh, just picking up tidbits here and there I kind of remember random information <laughs> but it's not a curriculum. But, uh, it's not part of y'all's curriculum like Texas history is yeah like it's a fucking class you walk in on September one and. May twenty eighth, when you when they let you go, you're still learning Texas history. Yeah, ours was more of uh, we might have done uh, we might have done a in middle school we might have done a quarter on uh, a quarter of the curriculum was in social studies or whatever was of Maryland history. So it, it wasn't a whole year; it was probably you know like a quarter of the year. But we did a fairly you know substantial amount of. Uh, learning on it. But no, like in high school, we didn't have just a particular class for it. See, Jeff's busting my balls. No, Kansas, I, Kansas I, doesn't have a fucking state history well, class, I, I guarantee you. I knew that's what you were going to do when you said that. I got a question, so I'm go ahead and make everybody from Maryland mad. What the fuck do y'all do for sports teams to follow? Baltimore. I mean, who? they? The Ravens won one. No. Day. What, what is your – what's your – I mean, what, who do y'all follow? Well, so, like, the Ravens weren't even a team when right. I was – when I was a kid and growing up and had to pick a sports team, you know, six, seven years old, Ravens weren't even a team. So I ended up, I'm just a Boston everything fan. So Red Sox, Celtics, Bruins, uh, not that I watch much hockey, but when I do, I root for the Bruins. What about college uh, sports? And, and then the Patriots. College sports? Uh, so I'm a Texas fan. I'm hey, a Longhorns fan. Me too, buddy. I, I don't, yeah. But I'll root, uh, I'll root for... I'll root for the Terrapins too when it comes to basketball, but anytime, anytime they're playing at football, I'm I'm still rooting for Texas. Which boy, Terrapins have whipped our ass. It, 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 yeah, it they go up there, don't they? It, it hadn't been so great over the past years. No, they've they've <laughs> it seems, owned it seems us. Like Texas, 
seems like Texas is the only team that Maryland wants to beat. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. They they've owned us two years in a row. The second time they beat mm-hmm. us, I thought we were going to be pretty good, and it was pouring down rain, and it, they just whipped our ass. Texas well, is on the rise, I mean, though. It, no, uh, they need to get rid of Ellinger. That kid's garbage. I'm not going to disagree with you there. He's got one more year left, but Texas is on the rise. They're they're, they're getting yeah. better and better, and they've recruited real well. Charlie Strong was really good. He got rid of a lot of riffraff. Mac Brown was there just a yeah. little too long. But mm-hmm. we're, we're going back up. Andy here is at that other Texas school. That, they're the basketball school now, Tech. No, we're everything other. We, listen, we've got the reigning MVP in the NFL. Baseball, basketball, track teams, and fucking Palm Squad national champions. The what? Pa- yeah, I didn't oh, know what it Palm was. Squad. Andy, those it, girls get blowjobs on weekends. They I, don't matter. I didn't know what it was either, but evidently we're pretty good at it. And I'm there. sure some Palm Squad dads listen to this. I done pissed him off when I found out about his daughter. Yeah. I, but Well, so, so this, this, this shows you how bad tech is. <laughs> they couldn't even have a halfway decent season with the reigning uh, NFL MVP playing quarterback. No shit. That's exactly right. An I, NFL coach and an NFL MVP, and they couldn't win more than six games. Yep, it's a tough system out there. It's a tough. It's because they suck. Here's here's the reason why I hate Texas Tech. I still remember (laughs) that Crabtree catch. Yeah, I still remember the Crabtree catch. It wasn't always. And what I even what I remember more about the Crabtree catch is the play before the safety dropping the interception. Yeah, the little white boy that used to live in Mundy, Texas, yep. 12 miles away, dropped that. I jumped up and down. I was like, hell yes, this shit's over. I was, I, to crime. I, I, that, was my, that was my freshman year. Freshman year at college, I was at a party, but they had the game on. I saw that. I started jumping up and down, screaming, and then saw the ball on the ground. I'm like, son of a gun. <laughs> I, think, I think that kid's last name was Gideon, maybe. He was, I don't he was a defensive back. I'm going to tell you uh, – I had to listen to more shit over that game. My whole family wouldn't even let me sleep that night. Andy was it? You were at Tech. You were at the game. My you- wife and I. Yeah, we we kind of got fucked on tickets. My grandfather was season ticket holder uh, for for Texas Tech, and uh, I'd asked him the week before for the tickets, and he said, "I think I got them sold, but if I don't, they're yours." And then uh, I get a call on Wednesday from my mom asking if my brother and my cousin can come spend the night with me. They got tickets to the game. I said, "Where the fuck they get tickets at?" And they said, "Your grandfather gave them to them." So well, that no good fucker. I didn't call him that because he's my <laughs> grandfather, but uh, I thought it. And uh, so they they went into the game. My wife and I we tailgated out just right outside, uh, right outside of the park in the parking lot, and the crowd erupted. And then it came over the TV about a four or five second delay, and told my wife when the crowd kind of flared up. I said, "Well, he either because he had you know almost thrown the interception before," and I said, "Well, he just either threw an interception." Or we won the game. And sure enough, about four seconds later, comes across the TV and Crabtree's running into the end zone. Oh, I cried that night. I called Jeff. Called yeah. Jeff a couple times. Hard to get a hold of him whenever his team lost. <laughs> I was trying to go to bed. I had to get up the next morning and scout. He's trying Fuck, to go to, work. to bed. He's trying to go to bed. What a what a day, though. What a game. Yeah. Was great. Well, that, 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 that reminds me of the Super Bowl two years ago. My dad called me at halftime talking twenty-eight to three. All kinds, all kinds of trash. He's like, "Oh, oh, your boy Brady. Oh, he's the greatest, huh? He's the greatest. He's sucking it up." Well, the game ended, and it. I knew he was already asleep, and I, I called him, blew him up. I was like, "Yeah, my boy Brady is the best." <laughs> you, you know that I'm a Packer fan. Everybody knows that, but I've got no problem admitting that Tom Brady is the best quarterback. 
to ever play. lace them up ever. I mean, ever. Yeah. You can't and, even. And I have, we we got into no, an argument. I have, I have no. I have no problem admitting that Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback I've ever seen. Sure, but he's not the best. No, he's the most talented. Yeah, I mean, you you see some of the things that Roger does, and based on talent alone, oh, he's gifted. Motherfucker should have been yeah, on the Wizard but, of Oz, but, uh, no heart. You're, yeah, your tech boy's coming for him because that kid is stupid talented. Mahomes, yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, we're we're in a two quarterback league here, our fantasy leagues, two quarterback league, and. I'm at the bottom of the first round, 14 teams. I'm number thir- I'm the 13th pick. Two quarterbacks I'm really legitimately debating on whether or not to get Mahomes and Rodgers or Mahomes and Luck or something of that combination. Mm-hmm. Andy's full of shit. He always he gonna, He's going to draft Aaron Rodgers. He always does. I've just said that. I said Mahomes and Rodgers, Mahomes and Luck. You'll, you'll draft Luck Aaron and Rodgers. Rodgers first. That would be your first pick would be Rodgers. I mean, Mahomes is in for a regression, yeah. especially fantasy-wise. I think, in all actuality, like as far as a football player, he's not going to be in for a huge regression. He's still going to be a great football player, but fantasy point-wise, he's in for a major regression. Yeah. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be solid as always. Um, I'm in a I'm in a super flex league, uh, like a super flex dynasty league. Mm-hmm. And I have Brady, and I'm honestly probably not going to keep him this year. So, because um, we can we can keep as many players as few or as many players as we want. Really? And honestly, I don't think I'm even going to waste a draft a, a draft pick on him. So, how do they do that in the dynasty league? If you've got three players that you want to keep, does it go off of their ADP, or how do, how does that work? Well, ours is basically. If you keep three players, you go to round four, and then That's round when, when round four, up. you start picking, and everybody else is still auto picking. If they've kept more than three players, right. they're auto picking one of their you know one of their players. Yeah. So ba- basically, all the keepers go in. It, the way our dynasty works, all our keepers uh, stay locked on our roster. Everybody we don't have set as a keeper goes back into the pool. So then, say I kept. Uh, you know, I had I had Jimmy Graps, so we we have three IR slots. I put him on one of my IR slots last year because I didn't, you know, that's my QB of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had, you know, I'll keep him. I had Mahomes. I'll keep him. Uh, my running backs pretty much sucked. Uh, my wide receivers, or I'm sorry, my running backs were good. My wide receivers sucked. Who were your so running backs? Keep, like, uh, I think I had Ezekiel Elliott oh, and um, yeah, I can't remember. It's been I mean it's been months since I looked at it. So basically, I until about a week before I have to set my keepers, I don't even look at it. I'm so busy this time of year; it's not even funny. <laughs> I would cut. I would. I would cut Brady in a heartbeat. Especially if you've got oh, yeah. Mahomes and Garoppolo. Yeah, I don't know why you'd even want to. He, he's he's due to fall off the deal. He he keeps going well, strong, he, he, but he's he due. Good last year, yeah, his stats were not fans, that good last fans. year. Yeah. Well, he, and they drafted a running back, so they're going to go even more run heavy than they were which they were incredibly run heavy last year, um, which was great because it allowed him to age a little bit more gracefully. He was, you know, incredibly effective. Well, yeah. I'm gonna tell you right now, I, I keep picking New England not to make the playoffs because I'm just going with the deal. He's gonna get hit, and that's gonna be the last time he gets hit. I mean, he's 106. 
But if he's healthy, they're going to be right there in the, NFC, the AFC Championship game because they're in the perfect storm. They're in the weakest division in football. They're going to have home field advantage at least through the first round of the playoffs, maybe through the whole playoffs, and then they're in the Super Bowl. And they, that's, the mix, that's the perfect deal for them because they don't have nobody to play in their division. Yeah, and, and I think he I, – honestly, he's in the, probably the best shape of his entire career right now. Um, and it's it's crazy when you hear all these defensive end and linebackers talk about him. They say it, it's like nobody we've ever hit. As soon as we touch him, he goes limp. Mm-hmm. So he ne- he never he never takes up he never takes that sh- that hard shot to the ground. Yeah, it's it's something that he's learned to do with his body that he doesn't take that hard shot. Well, you know, the only time only time he's ever been really hurt was when it. his foot was yeah his foot was planted and a dude came in low. So. Tell me right now your dark horse teams for this year in the NFL because every year there's a dark horse team. Who, who, who's your t- who's your team? Um, honestly, I think I think the Browns are going to win ten to eleven games this year. Um, but I called them I called them to win seven last year, and everybody laughed at me. And I was I, I was like, you, you guys don't understand. I said Baker is the real deal. Um, and what they end up winning? They went seven or eight. I think they were seven, eight, and one. Did they have a tie? Yeah, they were one. Yeah, they had a tie. One missed field goal and, away from and, the playoffs. And, and, and yeah, and if they had a freaking kicker, they'd have been ten, and they'd have been ten and six, and been in the playoffs. Uh, if they had a kicker, so that, he, he lost them three games. That's your playoff team, your dark horse team, which is really not a they're dark not, horse team. Because that's not really good. a dark. I, yeah, that one, I mean that one doesn't count. Um, but I, I say ten to eleven wins this year. You know, so adding four wins uh, on the high end. But honestly, I think 49ers are going to be. They should be good. You took if mine. Garoppolo can stay healthy. You took my dark horse. That's what I was yeah. going to say. San Francisco, they, Garoppolo stays healthy. Yeah, they'll be good. My team that I think is going to go eight and eight this year and going to surprise people by going eight and eight is going to be the Redskins starting Haskins because they're going to have a damn good defense. But that's not that's not really a surprise because the NFC East is so weak. Terrible. And everybody goes eight and eight. <laughs> well, except that, for, that's except for the Giants because they're terrible. I'll give you that. But I think that I think Haskins starts for them, and I think that they're going to be eight and eight. Not it's not a playoff team, but their defense is so good that if he just oh, keep yeah. them in games, they're going to be there. The Cowgirls, yeah. I hate them fuckers, but I think they're going to be about nine and seven. I think I think Philadelphia, I think Philadelphia goes eleven and five. I think Philadelphia's I, I, got a good I, chance to go Super Bowl again. It's it's going to be it's going to be between Philadelphia and Dallas. I think Dallas will win at least ten games. Um, but that that defense is good. The defense is real good. Yeah, they are very uh, good. They don't have a lot of depth, though. No, but with with the Redskins, what worries me about the Redskins is that receiving core. Oh, they're, they're horrible. so weak. But I don't understand all the hate on Haskins. I watched that. I watched that kid sling the football in college, and I know it's. I know Ohio State runs a scheme, but man, he looked good throwing the ball. And, and you know, and he, he's not. He's not one of these. Run first, you know, options. He is a good pocket quarterback. And that's what wins games in the NFL. And my, my dark horse fantasy yeah. guy and the most interesting team to watch this year is going to be the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray. Oh, yeah. They're going to – I saw – I heard a, read a deal on them the other day and I listened to a thing about them. 
the average NFL team runs like a thousand plays a season or something, sixty-five to seventy games plays per game is the is the pace or whatever it is. They think they're going to run almost a hundred plays per game as their goal. Yeah, that's what I heard. Like ninety-five to ninety-seven yeah. plays so, per game. So he's going to throw the ball sixty to sixty-five times every game. Mm, I don't. Well, like if that. you're going to run ninety plays, you're going to. <clears throat> Two thirds, you think? Yeah, that's the average. The NFL yeah. average is two thirds of the plays. You just go by the average. Well, I think they, I think they have two running backs that they're really confident in. Um, you know, you got David Johnson, who's a stud. I'd be picking him probably second or third in a PPR league. Well, Cliff Kingsbury's um, not going to run the ball, though. Yeah, but he's going to catch a lot of dump. Passes. He is going to do that. He, he, he has to run the ball, and honestly, outside of Le'Veon Bell, he's probably the best pass catching. Uh, running back in the league. Oh, he is a stud. There's no doubt about it. But yeah. I think they're going to throw the ball 60 times a game. And if yeah. Kyler Murray oh, well. throws the ball 60 times a game, he's going to average eight yards per reception. He's going to throw the ball for 450, 500 yards every game. Ain't no way. That, it, with, but throwing now, the ball that much, that's the difference. I, well, who are they throwing it to? Larry Fitzgerald's old. Um, you got um, Kirk's their Christian second receiver. Kirk's good. Yeah, yeah, but can he stay healthy? He got hurt last year. Wide um, receivers are a dime a dozen, though. I mean, every team can has got a number one that somebody nobody knew about three years ago. I mean, all over the league, it's full of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, t- tell Kirk. that to the Redskins because they haven't figured it out. Well, but, but <laughs> they but they had them. They they got they got rid of them. They Who? they let the kid go to San Francisco. That he was good oh, for him. Pierre Garcon. Pierre Garcon was good. Pierre, but, yeah, but he he was he was a number two receiver on. A bunch of different teams, and he was honestly right. just a number. He was a number two production receiver on the Reds. That's right. Games, even though he was number one, but that, that's what he, I'm saying. He didn't though. put up number one numbers. Yeah, but most number twos on most teams could be a number one. There's 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 wide receiver depth everywhere. You get you get a quarterback hurt, you can't go pick one up. You can lose a good receiver and pick someone up that can play. You see it every year during the season. Some no name gets picked up by somebody, and they're a stud. Uh, and they're going to be. I don't think the, so. the 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 Cardinals yeah. will find a fourth receiver, but they're going to throw the ball that much. That's their system. They're going to run. I'm just going by pure stats here. I'm telling you, Kyler Murray's going to throw the ball 60 times a game on average, or whoever their quarterback is, and add them 60 times. He's going to throw the ball for 400 to 500 yards every single week. No, I yeah, mean, no out way. Of 60 times he'll probably complete 40, and they're going to be short little dump off passes. It's not going to be deep completions. It's probably. Seven to eight yards a pass, that's less than 400 a game. I, right think, there. You're, I think you're giving Kyler Murray too much credit already. I don't, I'm no, not I w- a Car- I Kyler Murray I fan. I wouldn't say that. I just think Kyler he's Murray's gonna, very accurate. 450 yards a game? I, if they throw the ball that many fucking times, they will. No, no way. There's no way. No way. There's no way. There, there, there's, I think I think they're going to run the ball more than you think. That kid, Chase Edmonds, they have a lot of faith in him. Like, <laughs> from, from everything I've been hearing, uh, you know, from insiders and everything, they're they're going to utilize him 10 to 15 touches a game. We have not had so, anybody in the NFL throw the ball like this. When, when when Andrew Luck throws the ball 60 times a game, he throws for 400 plus yards. Yeah. That's the, that's what I'm saying. But he's, just also got, he's also got T.Y. Hilton. In T.Y. Yeah. Hilton, nobody knew who he was four years ago. Oh. He come out of nowhere. That's that's what I'm saying, though. That that system is going to be so different because they're going to try to run so many freaking plays. It's going to be like Chip Kelly on steroids. <laughs> and just that, I'm just going by numbers. Jeff T. White Hilton came out of nowhere as a rookie. You get rookies coming out of nowhere. You don't have no names coming out of nowhere. What I'm saying that though, have been in the league for a few years. What I'm saying is T. Y. Hilton when he come in the league, nobody knew who he was really. That that's what yeah, I, he came from what UCF. 
Yeah, that's but yeah, but he wasn't no first round draft pick. Well, no, most most top wide receivers aren't first that, round that's, draft picks. That's what I'm saying. There's somebody at Arizona they're going to pick up at camp that's going to be a player because they're going to get so many chances. Texas Tech is a perfect example of receivers with ungodly numbers that you never hear of other than Michael Crabtree and Welker and Danny Amendola some. But they always have a guy that leads the Big 12 in receiving. But it's because their system. And the NFL system is going to be the same for Kyler Murray. Well, I hope you take Kyler Murray early early in the draft. If Kyler Murray looks good at preseason, don't you worry. I'll be jump all over here. You're going to take him with your second pick? I might. Jeff, I hope you take him too because Andy needs all the help he can get in that league. Andy, let me tell you something. Our league is so competitive. Andy ain't got a chance in hell. Andy's oh, playing for <laughs> Andy's playing for the bottom bracket before we ever start. Shit. His motto is, "I just want to finish just, no, just finish him my money." Cash checks. Yeah, cash checks. He, is it is it a is it a tattoo league or what? No, fuck no. Thank God. It's four. It should. Well, no. I've never finished last, so. Well, no, you haven't that. But we got a coach in town that finished last three years in a row named Jordan Carter, and I named the bottom mm-hmm. bracket after him. If it was a tattoo league, he'd look like a fucking strip, stripper at a cheap hotel, boy. He's got that shibits all over him. <laughs> those are some brave guys that are in those leagues. I wouldn't be in nothing like there that. There ain't no way I'd be in a fucking tattoo. No matter how good of a fantasy football player you think you are, yeah, there's because, I mean, too much shit can happen. There's no Injuries. way I'd be in a tattoo league. No well, way. Well, I, I, can, I can tell you this. I've, I've been playing fantasy football since 2000. Oh, damn. Three, four, mm-hmm. and I've never once finished in last place. You know, last year I had six teams. I won, I won three of the leagues and finished third place in two of the leagues and second in one of the other ones. And I still wouldn't be in a tattoo league. <laughs> we, we have, I, do not, I do not like needles because it'd be my luck. <laughs> the first time I ever do it would be in that tattoo league. <laughs> we have a fourteen team league, and you can carry you can start two quarterbacks super, every week. Super flex, and, and, and so. Yeah, all you want to talk about fucking quarterback all, depth. All 32 quarterbacks are gone on draft night. Plus some um, reserves. Reserves every year, but it's there's nothing to pick up hardly during the season. Where it's a very competitive league. Everybody pays attention. Yep. And it's the funnest league I've ever been in. And it's just a local deal here with some some other people in. But it's very competitive. But we got three brackets to keep everybody interested. The first, mm-hmm. the first four teams play in the top bracket for all the money. The second or the fifth, five to eight, five to eight play in a second tier deal, and they can win a little bit of money. And then the bottom bracket for everybody left, they play for the last two weeks of season, and whoever has the combined score gets their entry fee back. But it keeps everybody interested all year long that way, and that keeps people That's making cool. moves and transactions and stuff. But it's because there's league. nothing more frustrating than having a guy at the bottom of the bracket that week twelve he just checks out and quit. You know, quits fucking around with his team. Yeah. So this way, you got the you got the Jordan Carter bracket, so everybody gets mm-hmm. a shot at it. Um, so, how do you keep that many fantasy teams straight? Six teams? I would. There's no way I couldn't do it. Waivers Wednesday morning before work. Holy fuck! Uh, set lineups on Thursday morning before work, and then tweak any lineups. Sunday morning before the games go on. If I mean, it, it, honestly, with six teams, it takes ten minutes. Mm. Ten minutes on Wednesday, ten minutes on Thursday, ten minutes on Sunday. I'll tell you something else we do in our league that no other league I've been in does. We play triple headers each week. And really, yeah, and it's fun that way because if you in our leagues as a PPR league, so 150 mm. points is a good week. Well, 
you score 150 points and you're playing some they score 153 you're 0 and 1 well in this league you're probably going to go 2 and 1 at least and it kind of levels yeah. levels it out at the end and said that team that gets lucky every mm-hmm. week that you know they don't play shit and every week they play somebody that's got buys or something it levels it out yeah i had one i had one of those teams last year i was like 3 and 6 and had the most points scored in the league yeah that's and i was like and, and I, I was just like there's no way this is going to keep going. So I changed my team name, uh, team name to comeback season. We're <laughs> in the middle and then one out for the rest of the season um, and ended up winning the championship. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. And I had to I had to win out. And the last week I had to win and then had to have somebody to lose to even get in the playoffs. It happened. Like I, I won out for the rest of it. And then that team happened to lose to like one of the worst teams in the league. Like it was crazy. Um, and, and made it in and ended up winning the championship easy. I think fantasy football has saved the NFL. I really do. I think the way that the yeah. ratings have been down and stuff and people yep. have lost interest, I think fantasy football has saved it. If it wasn't for fantasy football. If it wasn't football. for fantasy football. Because yeah. I, I'm not a – like baseball. I used to do fantasy baseball, and I won a couple of championships in that, but it was so fucking boring. It was so long. Now, you, just, want, you want to talk about – how do you have the time to set lineups for that? Because you got to do that every day. Same with fantasy basketball. I played one season of fantasy basketball, and the first half of the season, I didn't realize, oh, you got to be doing stuff every day. So I finally figured it out, and I actually somehow, I think every team made the playoffs. So once I figured it out, and every it was like an eight-team league, and we did every team made the playoffs, I ended up winning it. But it was <laughs> it was – I mean, it's legitimately every night you got to keep up. Who's hurt? Who's playing? Especially with them doing this load management bullcrap. Um, but it's those, you know, with with fantasy football, it's once a week, thirty minutes, yeah. thirty minutes a week. Yeah, baseball is yeah. not a. It's not a married guy's game to be playing, or you will be divorced. Yeah. So when you have that many teams, like, can you have a favorite? Oh yeah, I mean, I have. I mean, I have my my team that I root for. But yeah, then there's well, honestly, it's hard to be rooting for any one player yeah. because you're probably playing against them, in right? That, yeah, in the other game. Yeah, I uh, the most I've ever played. I think I played in three one year, and same way, like you, you know, you'd have uh, fuck pick somebody. You need somebody on Monday night to win mm-hmm. one game, but that same somebody on the same Monday night's probably going to lose you too. So you're like motherfucker. Yeah. It. Uh, yeah. That 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 was the only drawback for me is is just I like to be able to now this I'm I'm down to one team so I don't uh, this way I can root for whoever I need to root for and not feel bad about it. Yeah, well I tell you, last year a lot a lot of the time honestly I was just setting them and I I wasn't even watching much football last year because I was so busy. Um, I just didn't have time to sit down. I, you know, if the Patriots were on, I, I might sit down and watch, you know, two or three quarters of the Patriots game. But, um, you know, it, it just, I didn't have time to sit down on a Sunday afternoon and, you know, from one o'clock till what, 10 o'clock or whatever, and just watch, you know, be flipping back and forth between games and watching all the stats and everything like I had in the past. But, so the whole rooting deal wasn't too, too big of an issue, but, um, I just I'm big into numbers, and I just enjoy doing it. So yeah, you you That's, recently started uh, trap shooting. Is that what's eating up your time during the fall? What 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 do you got going on during the during that time of year? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, so I shoot, I, I don't shoot much trap. I, I shoot mostly sporting clays. What's uh, the but, yeah, that, that eats up a lot of my, a lot of my Sundays. Um, well, the difference is yeah. uh, I'll, fall, I'll fall asleep on a trap line. <laughs> um, and sporting clays is like golf with a gun. So, basically, you have three different disciplines. Well, three main disciplines there's a bunch of different sub disciplines but you have skeet which is your high house your low house the targets are the same every single time um and you just walk around to a different station uh with trap the the target is coming from the same trap every time um but it's it it varies from left to right Mm -hmm. um and you shoot five and you have no clue where it's going to go, but it's coming from the trap in front of you. And I have each station, you know, five stations around. Um, and then sporting clays is basically you shoot three to four pairs. Um, you have two traps at every station and typically you shoot, um, at a, at, you know, 13 to 13 to 16 stations. Um, and those are your three main disciplines. So basically with sporting clays, you're getting, uh, a ton of different variations it's it's more akin to stuff you would see hunting you right. know versus trap or skeet yeah what uh what's a, what's a good outing for trevor shanahan um well, it just depends i mean because there's no basically there's no average uh sporting clay course you know where with skeet and trap, you basically have same targets everywhere across the country, across the world. Um, with sporting clays, it just depends on the target setter and and the terrain and everything. But um, I mean, my best score is my best score was a ninety eight uh, two years ago. I ended up winning the uh, the Great American had like one hundred fifty people in there or something. That Jesus. was that was probably my best finish. Um, and then I shot a 96 at the Delaware State last year and finished third in the shoot, but high overall for out-of-state. Um, and then my lowest registered score, I think, was like a 66 or 67, and that was a couple of years ago. Um, <clears throat> but typically, you know, somewhere mid-80s. How much do you have to practice for my that? My usual score. What's that? How much do you have to practice for that? Mm, that's my problem. I don't practice very much. Really? Um, basically, my shoots are much. <laughs> I, I get my practice in at my shoots. Um, I last year, two years ago, I I actually shot a lot of practice, um, and then last year I shot more competitions and practice. But I shot a lot of competition targets last year. Um, and but I mean, two years ago I was probably practicing two nights a week. Mm-hmm. shooting a flat a night so two flats a week from spring to fall that's a lot yeah i mean but that's really not enough to i mean it was enough to get me halfway decent but not enough to get me you know to compete with the with the best in the country yeah like not even not even close what? you know on a on a good day on my good day it takes one of their bad days for me to be able to compete with them <laughs> What uh, what about goose calling and duck calling leading up to a competition? How much how much will you run through your routine? Um, I'll normally it depends on the contest. So if it's Rogers or Worlds, um, I'll probably pick up a goose call 
Oh, hell, when's Rogers? Uh, two weekends? No, three weekends from now. I'll probably pick a, a goose call two weekends from now. I'll blow five to six routines a day for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's so ingrained in my head. It's muscle memory right now. Um, for a small contest, I might pick up a call the day before, just make sure it's still tuned. Right. So, um, so you, so but, you've got your routine. It's set. You like it where it's at. Yep. And, and basically it's just like you said, muscle memory at this time. Yeah. And I'm not a note for note caller. I'm a, I'm a sequence caller. So I know here's point A, here's point B, here's point C. Right. But you might have a couple different notes in the transition from them, mm-hmm. you know, from routine to routine, but I've never been a note for note caller. Um, I don't think it's necessary and I think it's a little, uh, tedious on, on your brain to be thinking about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, making sure every note's exactly the same. I also think if you miss a note and you do it that way, you can't recover as easily as if you miss a note when you're, you hit an off note when you're a, a segment caller. Right. So, you know, I, I've had a lot of times where I hit a note that wasn't what I normally do or wasn't how I intended it to come off, but I can, you know, I can just go right back in the routine because, you know, it, my mind isn't dead set on, oh, that, you know, that wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Now, you uh, you blew out a read right before uh, at World, didn't you, this year? Yeah, but I shouldn't have. I, honestly, I shouldn't even have been in that third round. I messed up so bad in the second round that I should have had my nuts cut to where I wasn't even in the, in the top five. Um, but I just, I had such a high score. You know, I was winning the first round. I had such a high score that it kept me tied for fifth. And then I ended up blowing clean in the third round and ended up jumping from a tie for fifth and sixth up into fourth place. So your routine yeah. blew out in the middle of your routine? Or your read blew out in the middle no, of your No, it actually, so when that read blew out, that was actually, uh, I had seen the bubble the night before, and uh, and I was like, oh, maybe that's why, why I made that mistake. But I, I, honestly, it, it probably wasn't. It was just, it was just a lack of focus. Mm-hmm. Um, I, hadn't, I hadn't really practiced leading up into that like I should have. I was more focused on uh, being, you know, getting calls ready and cause I had my biggest retailer was there and I was set up with the, with my retailer. So I was focused on having, having all my calls and stuff ready and, and being out there at the booth and selling calls and everything. I was more focused on making money than throwing in the contest, which was obviously a mistake, but, um, but yeah, so I, I was like, Oh, I think I can get, I think I can get through a routine on this call. And right in the middle of the warm up, it blew out on me. So I was standing on stage for about a minute until they found my backup call, which normally I have in my pocket. I don't know why I didn't, but, um, you know, they ran and grabbed my backup call and threw it out to me. And I blew, uh, blew the third round and had the high score in the third round with my backup call. And that's how I jumped from a tie for fifth and sixth into fourth, but I shouldn't even have been there. <laughs> So what? What do you th- just? You were just that that far ahead in the first, and then you you made up for it. in the, I mean, when you're that yeah, ahead, that re- far in the first, and then you fuck I, it up. In yeah, the I was I was that far ahead of like a fourth and fifth place. Right. That with getting cut, and, and honestly, I don't think I got cut hard enough in the second round. In my opinion, I I didn't get cut nearly hard enough in the second round for what I did. 
Um, there's only, I think only like two, only like two judges gave me as low of a score as, as I would have given. Like I had to give myself a two, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I think two two judges did that, and then the rest gave me higher, and that's what kind of kept me in. But um, uh, yeah, so I was ahead of fourth and fifth enough, and then jumped them enough in the third round to get back in the fourth. But sometimes it's better, uh, you know. Sometimes you just got to lean on lady luck a little bit. Nothing wrong with it. Oh, well, I, I knew I couldn't win, so I was like, man, I don't even feel like being in this top five. But <laughs> I think it was maybe like 500 bucks for fourth place. But yeah. Well, see there, that's money too. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. Well, where uh, you, you've got your, you said you've got your call line. Where can people find that at? Uh, blacktimbercalls.com. Easy enough. What all? What all have you got over there? Uh, so we have uh, we have a full lineup of uh, of CNC acrylic goose calls. Um, we have our circuit breaker and our overload, which are kind of a mid range calls, um, do it all type calls. Um, and then we have the amp, which is a little bit shorter, a little bit more of a traffic running style call. Probably more would suit what you guys do out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I have a line of poor molded uh, calls that are a little more affordable option. We have one goose call that's uh, uh, it's our Overload XL. It's a lot longer. Uh, it's designed for uh, to be either a deeper call or just an easier-to-use, more user-friendly call. And then we have uh, two duck calls. We have a, a single-read open water, which is what I do all my hunting with is that, and all my contest calling with is that little molded single-read. And then, uh, <clears throat> and then we have a molded double read as well. What uh, what call do you use on stage? Which which one of the goose calls? Uh, I use the I use a handmade overload. It's a it's slightly different than our acrylics, but um, they're they're pretty pretty similar. Um, I just do a few slight tweaks uh, in internally um, by hand, on, and I always I always blow a wood goose call on stage. Just because of the tone, you think? Uh, yeah, I like the I like the little bit more. Uh, it's not quite as sharp, and it just has a little more resonance to it. Um, and I think it just adds a little more realism to the tone. Uh, it's just something different; nobody else does it. So, shaved? Um, I Do mean, I, I don't think I've blown. What's that? Shaved or full read? Uh, I I use a shaved read. Um, I do I do a full shave on the reed basically like one and a half passes across the reed uh i use a reed clamp and so then i I do one pass across the reed and then like half the pressure back across it um then i put it in my call i tune it up where i like the way that the call feels and typically it's a little bit high pitched and then i'll uh i'll go in there and i'll do what's called a t-shave um where I shave and weaken it right at the wedge point and then right down the center of the reed. Um, and that just gives it, it, it gives it a little more tone and it loosens the reed up, uh, just a little bit more and it, and it deepens the tone and gives it a fuller tone and, and a little bit more, uh, power and, and pop to it. I'll be damned. I've never heard and of that's, that. It, 
and that's specific. That's like specific to that gut set that I used. Mm-hmm. Um, so back when I used to use broken cluckers, I would just use a full re. Uh, maybe it, maybe do uh, a hinge shave. Um, you know, if the, the call was the call was just a little bit high pitch but blew perfect, I I would shave just right at the right at the wedge to weaken it up a little bit to get a little more re travel to deepen that pitch up. I've never heard of that. You learn learn something new every day. That's all. Uh, yeah, that's uh. Interesting. I've never heard of that. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a fairly uh, it's a fairly popular shave. Um, honestly, I learned it from I learned it from George Lynch back in like I don't know 2010 2011 when he was showing me you know some tuning stuff. But mm-hmm. um, it's it's really effective and basically that's the only way I can get the set of guts that I use in contests to run well is doing that just kind of a, a little bit of a shave on the whole thing and then doing that t-shave on them nice but, all right man well uh we appreciate you coming on we'll have to get you back on later in the summer and uh we'll bullshit again because i'm looking down here and uh we didn't talk about anything that really i wanted to we, <laughs> we appreciate you being on here with us uh yeah may i hope it cools off for y'all out there and we will see you in november go win the rogers thing huh I'm gonna try and make it back for that fucking wedding. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a nice little payday there. They put on a really good contest. Probably, uh, you know, it's it's one of the best run contests uh, in the country. So, yep, good. I'll keep I'll keep going back to it until they quit having it. All right. good. We wish you the best, and um, God bless you, and you have a great day, sir. Yep, y'all take it easy. Hey, thank See you, man. Yep. See you, Trevor Shanahan. Guy can blow, blow calls. Man he of many fantasy talents. football. Well, listen, we've got a little private fantasy football thing going on in our Facebook group. I'm going to whip his ass. We'll see. I'm going to whip everybody's ass. We'll see. I'd be willing make, to bet the field. Make your checks out payable to Andy Shaver. I'm whipping that ass. All right. Well, we'll see. Got anything else? That's it. All right. Have a good one, guys. Thanks, Trevor.